0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. We're walking through uh, the book of First John. It's a short little book. And we're, we're coming close to going verse by verse. Maybe not you know, a verse each week, but just a few verses. And one of the advantages of that is, is you really can kind of dive in a little bit and really kind of unpack what's going on. You know, it's kind of, have you ever, probably some of you moms are like this. I know my wife battled this, but when you've got little kids at home and you're feeding kids and you're juggling things, I mean, if you get two chews per bite, like you're doing well, one, two and gone, right? You're just, you're fast and it's going down. And you know, you're just all you can do to get through dinner. Well, We're kind of slowly chewing our food, if you will. But the downside of that is that if we're not careful, we lose the full picture. You know, God wrote 1 John and it was meant to be read in its entirety in one sitting. It wasn't meant to no halftime intermission, you know, no dance show or no music routine. Just sit down and read it. And so as we open this morning, John is kind of, he's taken a little bit of a breather. We've talked the last two or three weeks, and it's been a little bit heavy, honestly. He's like, hey, if you're living a life of sin and you think you know God, yeah, you really don't. You're clueless. You're pretty much going to hell. You're like so messed up. You just don't even know what's going on. And he kind of takes a breather this morning, and uh, and instead he's not talking about quite the heavy stuff as much as he's talking about, hey, I want to encourage you where you are in your faith, and I'm so glad that he's done that because he gives us this morning a picture of what our development looks like as followers of Jesus, what our what our growth looks like, how we grow. In our in our house, in our dining room, it was there before we got there. The family we bought uh, our home from, I think had three kids and on the door jam between our kitchen and our dining room has all those little marks, little hash marks that they would, you know, marking the kids. Truth be known, I could replace those and I probably should have, but I'm too lazy. And there's a little bit of, who knows, one day my home might be worth a million dollars because maybe they'll be famous, you know, and like right here's where this kid, you know, got marked up. So. Anyway, but we all do that, you know, with our kids. I love being here this morning and sitting. I, it's a truth being, I love watching our team, our, our worship team. Just they enjoy each other and they love the Lord. And I get to sit and just have fun with them. But I love there were some kids running around playing hide and go seek this morning with nothing but joy on their face. No worries, no stresses in that moment and all of that. And I loved that. And I just thought, you know, I I bet that brings God pleasure when he sees that in children. I bet we bring, as we live out our life and just little things, you know, as well as big things. And so I want to talk to you this morning, just kind of like, how do we grow as people who follow Christ? How do we grow from that child stage, you know, through adulthood, and is it possible to know? My kids um, every year as they were going through, you know, elementary and junior high and high school, they would have to take like achievement tests, you know, like these standardized tests to know if they were learning or anything. I, I told my wife since she's, you know, their teacher and their homeschool, I said, that's really your test. Like, that's really grading you. When they go through, you know, and, and they would get those scores and, you know, what grade level they're in and how they do and all of that stuff. And I don't have no idea how accurate it is or not. But, but regardless, trying to put a measure or a benchmark for development. Well, we're going to talk about what those benchmarks look like for us as followers of Jesus because John impacts that. So turn with me, if you would, in First John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 12 through 14, just three little verses this morning. Look what John says. If you don't have your Bible open um, to 1 John chapter 2, you can look on the screen. But look what he says. John says, and John's kind of the parental apostle. He says this. He says, I'm writing to you little children. Don't get offended. He's just a parental heart. And he's, he's writing to the Christians and the churches at large that he's sending this letter to. And he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake." I love the simplicity of that. I'm writing to you fathers, you dads, your fathers and mothers, you parents. And here's why. Because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, third different development stage, because you have overcome the evil one. And then Paul, I mean, uh, John, repeats himself. But don't miss this. He's not just repeating himself. He's drilling the hole a little bit deeper and unpacking some things with us, kind of pouring in and drilling into our hearts, if you will. And he says this. He says, I write to you children. He comes back around again. I write to you kids because you know the father. I write to you fathers because he doesn't change this. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says the exact same thing a second time because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Pray with me, would you? Father, I am so glad to be here to worship this morning. I've already enjoyed so much my time just uh, privately worshiping and being with your children and being with the kids. Father, would you help us to understand this passage, not just in our mind, but in our heart, and Father, help us to leave this place changed and putting it into action. Lord, we want to hear from you. I confess, Father, that nothing that I have to say is worth anything, but inasmuch as much as it comes from you, comes from your word, and represents that, Father, then there's life in it, and it's value, and there's impact, and I pray that you would help me to communicate that well. Lord, we want to honor you, want you to have first place today. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. I love John. He says, I write to you kids because you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, not for your sake. We tend to think about salvation being for our sake. God loved us and died for us and he saved us and did it for us and he did. But he changes it. He says, your sins are forgiven you for his sake, for him, because of him. And, and you know the Father. He says, I write to you fathers because you've known Him who is from eternity. And I write to you young men because you, you've overcome the evil one. In fact, you're strong and the Word of God abides and dwells and lives within you deeply. I want to talk to you about kind of three stages of, of growth, if you will, just like we think about we kind of, in the human world, we have, we're much more refined. We have like seven or eight, right? You know, we've got the babies and then the toddlers and preschoolers and elementary years and then tweeners, right? You know, we've invented a new one for, you know, between teens and kids and then teens and middle school and we and all the way on up through and, and young adults and middle-aged and whatever. We have all of that. Well, today we're looking at just kind of three stages Young children, maybe birth through the elementary years, or if you will, or maybe even early teen years, kind of young adults, teens, -teens, mid-teens, late-teens through the 20s, maybe even in the 30s, depending, spiritually, of course. And then talking about fathers, those parents, moms, and dads who are reproducing themselves spiritually. I want you to notice what the the life, and I'm calling these life change stages, it it, for us as a church, discipleship is simply knowing Jesus and obeying Jesus. It's not like taking a subject and going to school. And when we know Jesus and we follow Christ, the output of that is it completely changes our life. So we're really talking about growth stages, maturity stages, development stages. I'm calling them life stages change stages because the first one happens when we become that child of God. That's when we go from not knowing Jesus to knowing Him. That's when we go from not being a part of God's family to being a part of God's family. And John hits the pause button. He says, guys, in essence, he says, I've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff. He's about to resume it. Next week we'll talk about it. He says, hey, don't love the world and the things of the world and the sin and the junk in this world. So he dives in again. But he's kind of taking a breather. He's like, look, here's why I'm writing to you. I know that there's, you're in different places of your life spiritually as a Christian. And so wherever you are, whether you're in a, a, a ch- more of a young child stage that you recently have trusted Christ and surrendered to Him and, and you're growing in that, or whether you've known Christ a little while and you've been putting on some muscle and working out and you've gone from not just eating baby food and soft mashed potatoes, but you, you've been eating some steak and some meat. You've been putting on some muscle, if you will, And I'm writing to some of you that are a little bit older spiritually who who in turn are spending your life pouring into others and are maturing them. And he he unpacks just some incredible things about each of those stages. So I want us to, one, each of us to kind of know where we are to a degree, not to stay there, but so that we can step forward and move forward in our life. And I want us to also to know how to do that and how to in turn to help others around us to move forward through that same process as well. That's the whole point we're looking at. So notice what he says this morning as we talk about little children, young children. He says this very simply. He says, your sins are forgiven you, and you know the Father. There's such simplicity in that. He says, guys, there's some of you that are new in your faith... And what you really know, you don't have a clue where the book of Malachi is. You don't have a clue who Hezekiah was in the Old Testament. You really don't understand all the sacrifices and the stuff in the Old Testament. You read the book of Hebrews and you're going, I don't have a clue what any of this says. I don't even know where to turn. You're, you're looking at all of this. He says, but that's okay. Because your sins are forgiven you and you know the Father. Think about what a young baby born into this world, born into a family that even remotely loves and cares for a baby. That child doesn't have a clue who's president of the United States. They don't really care. (laughs) They don't know all the awful things that could happen to them in this world, but some do and most of it doesn't. They don't have a clue what styles are in fashion and anything around them. What do they know? They know there's a mommy and a daddy that care about them. Moms, those of you that you know go back if you would to your little baby as much as you love them and, and cared for them there 's a day that after you bring your baby home from the hospital that you know they call you into the room and they cry, they need something or want something, and then the day comes and, and, and in that stage, their eyes i don 't know all the development, but they don 't seem to focus well, and they look all over the place and, and their smiles are usually because they 've got gas, not because they 're really you know are happy, I mean just they do make the strangest things. But the day does come, right, Mom? And even you dads, too, although you don't look as good as your wives do, but you lean over the crib and your baby goes from just sitting there, blank look on their face, to they light up and they see your face. Why? Because they know you. They know you. They don't know just about you, but they know you. And life for them is very simple. They know that they know, nobody, they can't articulate it, they can't explain it, but they know that they belong. They know there's a connection. They know they're in a family. They know they're cared for. And that's what their life consists of. You see, when we first trust Christ, that's about the depth, and that's about all we need to know. There's a God in heaven, and I know him, and he knows me, and he loves me. And there's a security in that. There's a comfort in that. There's a peace in that. There's a God in heaven who's forgiven me of all the junk I've ever done. You see, I don't care if you're five years old or if you're 55 years old or 85 years old. We all go through this stage. It doesn't mean just let's all relax. It doesn't mean if you're 65 that you just trusted Christ that you're a baby. You're not. You're a grown adult, all right? But spiritually, you're in that development stage where what you know is is that the God of the universe has showered His love upon you and He has forgiven you of all of your stuff. And I want you to look at this and think with me. Don't blow by these verses. They're huge. Look what verse 12 says. It's on the the screen. It says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Do you see any fine print in that second line up there? Any asterisks? Any footnotes? See note below. When I bought Susan and I bought our house, we had to buy two properties together at the same time and there was like 10 people in the room and somewhere along the way when I'm writing all these checks and signing all these things I realized Oh my goodness, everybody in this room is making money off of me. It didn't feel good. I felt like I was praying the gardener and the, you know, the I mean, like everybody and their son. It's just like, holy cow. And there's all this fine print, and that's why you hire an attorney to make sure you don't get in something you're not supposed to, right? Because there's always fine print. Do you notice that there's no fine print in this? God doesn't say some of your sins are forgiven you or maybe your sins are forgiven you, or maybe your sins will be forgiven you. It's very clear they are forgiven you. In other words, in the past, they've been forgiven, and you are still in that state today as a young child of God forgiven. Well, what about my future sins? Oh, they're there too. There's no limit to this forgiveness in quantity, in quality, in extent, It's not that you're forgiven for a time period. It's not like, well, you've just gotten a special grant from New York State and and you can get a free scholarship, if you will, if you fulfill your part of the bargain. No! Your sins are forgiven you completely in entirety. Everything in your past, everything in your present, everything in your future. It matters not what the sin was that you've done or what the sins or how long you were doing them. It matters not what your future will hold. As a young child, you have been adopted into the family of God and your sins are absolutely forgiven. Now, we can all know that in principle form, right? That's not too hard to understand. But where the rubber hits the road is when you're alone at night laying down and you feel guilty about some of the stuff that you've done in the past and you remember or you're driving down the road. I want you to know that the things that pop up when you really are a child of God you're forgiven. The guilt is removed and the shame is absolutely removed. That word forgiveness doesn't mean just uh, that we're forgiven. It's It's an idea of a release. In the Old Testament, one of the principles that God gave the Jews was that once a year, the people were to confess their sins and there was a sacrifice. And the priest would, the sacrifices performed, uh, one would die and the blood would be shed on account of their sins. And the priest would take two perfect goats and one goat he would sacrifice and he would take the blood of that goat and he would sprinkle it on the people. It was a picture of the purification that they needed, a picture of their guilt and a picture that the blood of a perfect innocent lamb, animal, would be what they needed to purify them, to remove the stain of their sin. and But the second goat didn't have any, any better fate. The priest would place his hands on that goat and would confess over that goat all of the sins of the people. So I want you to get the picture. Both goats took the blame for the sin. It cost one goat its life. All of the sins were, in essence, transferred from the people to the goat, just... And, and, and so because of that, it cost them his life, but through giving that life with the purity, it brought life to the people. But the second goat, the, the priest would confess the sins over, and that goat would be led out into the desert wilderness so far away that it could never find its way back. It's a picture that when God forgives us of our sins, he doesn't just cleanse us with Jesus' blood. He does that, but he sends the sins away. He removes them from us, completely gone. Think about your house. If you have something gross or contaminated clean up in your house, don't you go get your cleanser out and you wanna make sure it's sanitary and all of that. And you get paper towels, you clean it. What do you do with those towels afterward? Do you spread them out and try to, well, that one's got a little place there I can still use. You don't keep them, right? You get rid of the unsanitary, you throw them away and hope the heaven that you never have to see it again like you're out of here and you especially do it if you catch mice in a trap and there's blood and guts involved and there's just gross stuff you're like ah, you know you just you don't want any of that contamination anywhere around you right that's the idea here is that God removes the contamination of sin completely from us we are forgiven so this morning if you're in that child stage where you've trusted Jesus, you don't fully understand the Bible, well, congratulations, I don't fully understand it either, and I'm still learning. But if you really are like, it's still a challenge, rest and enjoy that there's a Father in heaven who loves you, who is looking out for you, who is providing for you, protecting for you securely, and has forgiven you and has brought you fully into His family, and enjoy and be confident in that. And may I say that you should never graduate from that, I don't care if you've known Jesus for 50 years of your life, there comes moments where you just need to say, I just need to know that my dad loves me today and that he's gonna take care of me and that everything's okay. No matter how much you know and how much you learn, you still need to know that you're forgiven and you've got a Father in heaven. Second life change stage is not, we go from that childhood onto to the young man stage, the young woman stage, and he says, I write to you young men In verse 13, because you have overcome the evil one. He unpacks that a little bit further in verse 14, kind of drills deeper. He says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. In other words, some of you guys are strong spiritually. You're strong because God's word is alive and lives inside of you. You've known Jesus for a little while. You've leaned into Scripture. You've read when you didn't fully understand. And slowly but surely, you've begun to understand, not just in your head, but the Word of God is deeply dwelling inside of you. And because you're strong and are maturing, you have won some victories and fought some battles spiritually against the enemy of God over the evil one, purely evil, Satan himself and all all that he is out to do. The Bible says He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible describes Him as the father of all lies. All the lies in the universe find Him as the source. And His only desire is to disrupt, disarm, to destroy completely um, all that God would do. And were God not all-powerful, He would absolutely be able to do it because you and I are not strong enough to handle Him. So we go, we start out at that young stage. For me, I was in that stage, I would say honestly till I was you know, the childhood stage till probably was about the time I was in college. I knew Jesus. I knew much of what the Bible taught. I believed it, but I hadn't put on very much muscle. I hadn't been to the gym yet to really work out. And for most young Christians who trust Christ when they're young, even if they've grown up in a Christian home, they really haven't put on a lot of muscle till they're honestly young adults physically, like in age, you know, teen years and twenties. And there's something that went on that God was doing in my heart where I began studying the Bible for myself. And I really began digging in and really began reading, really began not believing because somebody else told me or it made sense or listening to the sermons, but began reading and that word became a lot more powerful and a lot more real in my life, in my early 20 years. By the way, I would say I hadn't really become into the father stage. I would say until that didn't really, I started entering it, I think, maybe 10 years ago. I really don't think I really became both feet into that world until two or three years ago. The young man stage is very a lot longer than most of us think. In that young man stage, we're studying God's word and we're beginning to understand it. And we're fighting the battles. You see the enemy, at heart, just like with Adam and Eve wanted to lead Adam and Eve into sin and complete this rebellion against God. How did he do that? He planted lies in their heart. The young man stage is where you and I have all believed lots of lies, a lot of lies, that living in the world around us, in the world system, we bought some from our parents, stuck them in our heart and our mind. And it's God's word that begins to untangle and peel away those, those lies. We should know what they are. They're, 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 they're all around us. I read this, an article this week talked about selfie dysmorphia. Have you ever heard of that? It's going to be a, It's pretty close to being a medical diagnosis. Two years ago, if you asked, it, it polled uh, plastic surgeons, people you know doing plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, all of that. Uh, About 15% I believe said that the one of the main reasons that the people they're operating on was because they wanted to look better in their selfies. 15%. Guess what that number is two years later today? 55% majority. You know, if you don't know in the selfie world and the, you know, there's filters that you get that automatically just make you look better and make you look incredible. Some of them are a little weird, like Snapchat, right, where you get the little butterflies in your head and the bunny ears and the, you know, the funny things, you know. But this is no joke. People are so, so many are looking at themselves in the mirror a million times a day and becoming so entangled that they want to hear 500 people say, you're beautiful, and they want to hear, oh, everything is wonderful and you look great, to where they they struggle to deal with reality when they look in the mirror in their bathroom and they realize, oh, but that's not my reality. It causes a dysmorphia and they want to go to the doctor to say, make me look like that. There's lies in there that we believe our value becomes one in how we look, two, that really matters what all those other people think. You see, when we we start going down that road, you hand your self-worth to somebody else. You completely give it away to somebody else. You put where you are in life in the hands of somebody else. And then not just one person that you trust, but lots of people that are not trustworthy and they start throwing it around And you totally have seceded that away. That's a lie of the enemy. Instead, we should recognize that we're a value of God, that he made us who we are. We're not perfect. And we don't need to be perfect to be valued. And we don't even need to be popular to be valued. You see, when you trust Christ and you begin digging into God's word, he starts peeling those lies out of us and the junk in us. That's why in Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says that the Bible, God's word is a... Active, it's a living, it's a living, breathing, if you will, uh, entity. And then it's sharper than any two-edged sword, any razor blade we, might, we would say today. Able to divide within our heart the, the intentions and thought, the difference between our soul and our spirit. In other words, it's able to perform spiritual surgery into our mind and heart and to remove the lies and the junk. And so most of us, even after we trust Christ and we'll begin to learn and grow, the issue isn't, well, do you need to know where Malachi is and you need to know where all of these... That's important and helpful. That's important. But what God's really trying to do is to take that word of His and put it deep into your soul to change you entirely. And that takes a long time to happen. And it takes years of peeling back those lies and those things that for some of us are generational lies. And we've been handed down from mom and dad and from grandparents to where we are and other stuff that we've believed. We're good at inventing our own too. We'll pick up some that we make up our own selves. But God wants to overcome that work of the enemy in our heart. So John is saying, look guys, I'm writing to you. Some of you guys haven't yet quite entered into that battle. Some of you know, there's a bigger world around you and you fought some battles. You fought it, we would call them demons today. You fought some demons inside you. And what John is telling us is, and you have overcome them. The reason is, is because you're strong. The reason why you're strong is because God's word is living deep inside your soul. Notice his, his word is, is alive. It's, the Bible is not a subject to be mastered. It's not a topic to be learned. As much as it is God living within us, it, is, it abides, it stays within us. That's what the Bible's talking about here. It, it's supposed to be like a virus. You know when you get a cold and you get a virus, you don't just get one little cell, one little you know, representative. You get a bunch of that stuff crawling all through your body and your veins and all of that. I don't know how it all works. I, I used to know, and I really don't care to look it up again. But you, you're infected Think of it this way. You need to be infected deeply with God's Word that it changes everything about you. Your breathing changes when you're sick, your joints, your body for the bad. God instead wants you to be completely infected with His Word that you change for the good. So let me give you some hints and thoughts along this way because many of you are in this young man's stage. And you can't get there without taking God's Word inside of you. So a couple of suggestions. I think I've got some slides up there, guys. So if you hang with me, first recommendation, if you're going to grow and God's Word is going to be vital in your soul and you're going to work through these lies and overcome the enemy in, in your life and help speak in other people's lives, is find a translation of the Bible that you can read and understand. I mean, I know that sounds so simple, but find one that makes sense to you that's literal. That's not the one I want. Oh, yeah, that is the one I want. You know, that was it. You guys got it. Go back. I like my pretty pictures. I worked hard on that PowerPoint, so you know. <laughs> There's a reason Jeremy's a graphic designer amongst the pastors, not me, but I did okay in a pinch. So, so the middle one, find a translation is the ESV, great, accurate, pretty readable translation. If for some reason that doesn't connect with you, I would recommend you consider the New Living Translation. It's not the Living Bible for those you've been around a long time. It's a much more readable, very simple translation. That's just, it's very, makes sense, okay? Pick a Bible that you can read and understand and then get a good study Bible. Both of those are excellent. Chuck Swindoll, I trust Um, Chuck is fantastic. The ESV, I've looked at it deeply in their footnotes. You need to know study Bibles take the Bible and then they put other people's opinions in them. So other people have opinions, right? Do you listen to everybody's opinions out there on anything? No, you especially shouldn't with the Bible. Like there's some people you need to listen to and some people you don't. So pick your study Bibles carefully. Those two are good ones. So find a Bible. And then for you mom and dad, if you've got little kids, um, sometimes I probably just need to read that one now, because that's kind of my speed, like lots of pictures, you know, the one on the right. But find something that even for your little kids, it makes sense. Get a translation that you understand, one that has good notes, that you can just look at it, and then it can help you get, just to get that knowledge, and then read the thing, because it has to be active in your soul. Let me caution you. It's good to read devotions from other people, but value reading God's Word more than reading words about God's Word. If my wife writes me an email, I'm not going to hand it to you and to say, would you just read that to me, give me your thoughts? I want to read it myself, right? That's good to maybe get some insight from other people. It's kind of what you're doing now. You're getting my insights from God's Word, but there's no substitute from hearing from God himself. So read God's Word yourself. Don't don't fall into your life. I mean, you've been Christians for a while. You're in the young man stage, and you've you've fallen into the busy, crazy life that you just grab the quick two-minute devotion on your way out the door to work. That's kind of like grabbing a pop tart, you know, or what was a little hostess ding dongs, you know, and like wolfing it down between your coffee and calling it breakfast. You know, well, I'm gonna hit McDonald's and I get a cheeseburger and fries. It tastes good. Yes. Is can you get nutrition from it? Yes some level, debatable probably by by many and most, but it's not as nutritious as reading the Bible yourself and giving yourself some time. You don't have to spend an hour a day. You don't have to go become a monk and sit, you know, out in the cold, 15 minutes, whatever, but read God's Word. Take it in and then ask God to begin to apply it. What do you do when you look at it? Three very simple things. Begin to pay attention to things that stand out to you. Oh, wow, look at that. Very well maybe the that God's trying to talk to you about that. Maybe you hit something like, I have no idea what that means. Don't worry about it. Treat it like when you were a kid in an exam and you had a multiple choice exam and you didn't know what that one was. Skip it. Go on to the next one. Put a question mark and don't obsess over it. If you really want to know, then either look it up. Um, there's, by the way, go to the graphic that says, got questions. I think it's two down from this one. Nope, not that one. Yep, that one. Go to that one. I trust this website. They have five over five, half a million questions answered. I trust them. Have I looked at all of them? Absolutely not, but I have yet to find anything that I didn't agree with. Really solid, and you can ask all kinds of crazy stuff in there, so if you don't know, go look it up. It's a good place. The other one's another good spot. Go to that previous one you had. Bible Project, fantastic. I love this one too. These are little, see little videos at the bottom? What is the Bible, the story of the Bible? Whole story of the Bible in five minutes. You didn't even have to come here this morning and listen to me for, for, I only preach 15 minutes every week. You guys know that, right? I'm lying to you, you should have all, like he's delusional, oh my goodness, we spend way more than 15 minutes here. But there's dozens of little videos that kids can understand, you can understand. So if you're in the early, like even child stage or the early young man stage, look at those and use them but there's no substitute for reading God's word yourself. So read God's word, ask a question if you need it. They've got a great tools. I don't recommend going to Wikipedia. Don't do that. Don't just go, you don't go looking for answers with people you don't know and trust. I'm giving you a couple. Go take the question to your life group if you don't know. Ask somebody else, but ask the question. So read the Bible in those groups and begin getting engaged. Walk through that young man's stage. Now guys, hear me. Many Christians get stuck in this stage and never move to the spiritual parent stage. Many get stuck. We get caught in an orbiting pattern. And this, the, the young man stage is not just about us knowing the Bible. It's about us living the Bible and applying the Bible. But if we are doing that consistently, if we're going to the gym and working out and becoming strong, and we're beginning to not just... Understand it, we begin to live it, and then God begins working our lives. That we are, as we're doing ministry, we are doing ministry for others, and we begin serving out of that. The enemy, we do begin to deal with spiritual warfare, not just with lies our own heart, but other things against us. But God says, Paul, John reminds us, you have overcome them. You've got victory over the enemy. And if we work through that stage, then the third stage is next, and that's the stage of where we become spiritual parents. I want you to notice this. This is really significant and it's subtle, but it's powerful. Notice that when describing what it means to be a parent, John says the same exact thing twice. He says, I write to you fathers, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. Well, when he says it again in verse 14, he says the same thing exactly because you know Him who is from the beginning. Both the children and the young men, they needed some elaboration. But when it comes to the parent stage, there's no more development after this. This is as deep as it needs to go. The whole point is for us to know the God of eternity deeply in our hearts. Think about it this way, I went ice fishing yesterday and uh, there's a point when you're drilling an ice auger or that hole in the ice and you drill down, drill and drill and drill and drill. I think the ice yesterday was like 20 inches. I mean, it's a good little hole. But there's a point at which you break through. When you take the auger and you push it down, because there's usually a little lip there, and you pull it up, and all of the junk comes out of the hole, and you can go fishing. I didn't need to try to keep drilling to the bottom of the lake. That was as deep as... There was no more needed. It's the same way with our life, that the point of our spiritual growth and development is for you and for me to become spiritual parents, and as spiritual parents, the chief marker of that is not we still have a Father that know in heaven that we love and we know and has forgiven us. We still have the young person stage that we know God's Word. It's abiding and deep and we're fighting some battles. But this stage is a little bit more. We don't know God just simply as a Father who loves us and cares for us. We know God is the infinite, the eternal one who is way more mysterious and way beyond just a loving father, if you will, in our lives. We know the one who is infinite. We begin to learn and know that God is maybe confusing at times, tough to handle at times, that God allows things in our life that we can't explain that are hard and painful. I was reading Ezekiel 24 just a few weeks yeah, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And in it, he says to Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes. And a single stroke. And he goes on and he describes, it's his wife. He says, your wife's about to die. And when she dies, I don't want you to mourn for her at all. It's okay if you whimper. It's okay if you sigh, actually. It literally says just kind of, oh. but I don't want you outwardly mourning because here's the deal. You need to tell Israel that this is a spiritual lesson for them. I got to tell you, well, first off, I thought about it. I'm like, man, he's right. My wife is the delight of my eyes. Absolutely. I still go, wow, every day when I look at my wife and just like, I can't believe. But then I got to tell you, I sat in Ezekiel's shoes and thought, whoa, God, are you serious? You're going to tell me that you just took his wife? And it wasn't because he did anything wrong. It's because all the people in Israel were doing stuff wrong. And you needed to teach them a lesson? And you took his wife? Oh, God, that's that's tough. That's hard, God. I struggle with that one. You see, there comes a point in our life when we walk through the struggles and the challenges that life becomes even way more real than when we're just young men and women learning and growing that we begin to understand there's a God in heaven who is far more mysterious and far more infinite and far more powerful, far more holy, far more greater than anything we've ever explained or understood. And there comes a time in our life where we begin to experience God a little more plainly in the realities of the world, I will say. And we come to terms with it. And what blows me away when I read that in Ezekiel 24, the Bible says, Ezekiel said, he spoke to the people that night his wife died and that he got up the next morning and he obeyed God. Oh my goodness, very next morning. You and I would not have been able to do that, but he did because he was a man who knew the one who was from the very beginning and has all of his infinite eternity. See, some of you have wondered, God, why am I going through all the struggles in life? God, I don't understand this is such a challenge. What God's trying to do is to make you a father. It's not because he doesn't love you. He's trying to teach you that there's some infinite things going on beyond you, that life's really not at all about you and me on this planet. It's really about Him. And you and I need to step into that world because what makes us spiritual fathers is the realities of life. God's Word applied to the realities of our life much more deeply than even they did when we were a young man or woman. And it takes a whole lot of time for that cake to bake in the oven to finally come out, and it's a season. It's a, it, not a season. It's a, a lengthy process. In all genuine seriousness, I don't think I really fully entered this process until maybe two or three years ago, and it usually involves pain. It usually involves some really difficult things. Maybe some of you entered it in much younger. I don't know. It's probably different from everybody, but it's where God's trying to take us, and there's nothing beyond that. You know, the old catechism, the old way of teaching children says, what's the chief end of man or people? What's the point? It's to know God and enjoy Him forever. That's the whole point, It's to simply know Him. Not to accomplish much in life, not to have this goal met, not to have that, not to have that with a house, not to do this, not to do that, all the things in life. But the whole point of our life is to know God. And when you start stepping into that world, that's when you're becoming more of the parent and then the fruit of that is not just the overcoming the lies of the enemy in your life, not just ministry and doing cool stuff for God around you, but you begin to reproduce at a much more in a much more effective way, having more spiritual children and helping those young men grow and those young women grow. So I want to challenge you this morning, guys. Where are you in that continuum? these overlap, even children need to learn and grow like young men, and even parents need to continue to grow. And there's overlap. But these are three very distinguishable times of our lifetime of our spiritual life. Where are you? Have you gotten comfortable being the young child? To where you've just let other people feed you spiritually? That's a fun place to be. It's nice to have somebody else just care for you and take care of you and do everything for you. Are you a young man? Are you really leaning into God's Word? I've watched there's a season after somebody trusts Christ that they get really hungry usually. All things normal, it's normal. It's normal for a kid to eat, to want to eat, and want to put on strength and do stuff. Are you in that season? Are you leaning forward into it? Are you overcoming the sins and the garbage in your life, the lies of the enemy? peeling back all of those layers, whatever those may be? Or have you just kind of tabled that and lived for yourself? If you're living for yourself, you're stuck at that stage. Are you working through that? And if you are, are you allowing God to make you into a more mature person who knows God in the pain points of life, who experienced God in his vastness and his holiness and his completely beyond every little thing that we've ever envisioned? And are you in turn investing in that next generation of helping those move forward with you? So I wanna encourage you this morning, at all, every step of the way, this is all good. Like we're forgiven, we're his kids, we're growing, we're strengthening, his word is deepening, all the way through that we even know him in a, in a I don't wanna say, it's not another level, cause this is not a level up thing. But we experience God, and He does more in our life. To we are humbled way more than we've ever thought, and He works deeply in our lives in a more painful way than we ever thought, and we become okay with it, and we multiply. So where are you? Are you celebrate in each of those stages? Lean in onto those, but step forward. Maybe one of the tools I showed on the screen you need to do. But this morning, as we kind of shifting our thought to our Lord's supper. I want us to recognize that, guys, we're together. The whole point is that we know him, that we're forgiven by him because Jesus died for us. That's what these elements are all about. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. We celebrate that. So this morning, it's as we celebrate the supper, it's kind of like us being children. We're forgiven and we have a daddy. The young adults in the room know that, that the spiritual young adults know that it took Jesus paying the price, dying in our place, and, and there is a holiness and an aspect of all behind this, of all the scripture that's involved in that. And then the fathers in the room know that we look at that and we celebrate those around us who are walking in that journey. So this morning as we participate in this, one, check your own heart, but two, Let's all go back to being that little child, saying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me. Thank you for making me your daughter, making me your son. I worship you today. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. Let's prepare our heart. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves and to prepare our hearts to do this well. So pray with me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that he died for us, that he saved us. Father, thank you that in simplicity we can know you through him. Thank you that we can say truly that we are forgiven. Not that we will be one day, but we are already. It have been in the past and it continues now. And we're forgiven point blank for everything in our lives. Lord, I pray you'd help us to put off the lies of the enemy to overcome through the truth of your word, to do battle in the ministries around us, advocating and praying for and sharing and serving so that others might know you. Lord, would you make us strong spiritually? And Father, I pray that you would also help us to be spiritual parents, knowing that to get to that point, we've got to walk through some some fires, some difficulties, But through that lifetime of walking with you, we experience you and your eternal eternity, just infinity beyond all that we can fathom. Lord, help us to know you. It's such a privilege to celebrate the simple reminder that Jesus died for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.